Hello everyone and welcome to Cold Outreach Success Stories where we interview regular business people just like you who have achieved good results using Cold Outreach on email and other channels. We go deep into their process with hot tips around personalization, messaging, targeting to make sure that you take away some good ideas to make your Cold Outreach successful. Today we have on board Britt from Tulu. Tulu is an internet of things, an IoT company that takes data from commercial buildings and transforms it into financial and time savings for building owners. His job as the CRO is to identify revenue opportunities and position their product, branding and business model to best capture those revenue opportunities at scale. So let's just ask him the first question like Britt, can you describe in a bit more detail what does your company do and yeah. how do you make money? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that my dad used to joke about as a kid was that you know, air was really expensive to breathe. And uh, he wasn't far off. Actually, building owners, uh, commercial building owners in the United States, uh, they spend about $200 billion a year on direct costs associated with maintenance, repairs, and energy for the systems that provide and clean and heat and cool the air that we breathe. And a lot of that cost is wrapped up in paying skilled labor, uh, a bunch of money to climb up on a rooftop, open up these HVAC machines, and then hook up some gauges to take some measurements. Obviously, that's not a very efficient way to manage those systems. And then on top of that, because they're only spending so much time in front of the piece of equipment, lots of stuff breaks when they're not there, and that causes more and more expenses. So uh, the average building will spend anywhere between $1.30 to $2 per square foot per year on these buildings on, the, on HVAC costs. And so what we do is we actually hook up our own array of sensors and IoT equipment to this equipment. Uh, mechanical equipment. And because we've hooked up to it and we're monitoring all this data 24-7, we're able to not only catch failures right when they happen, but also trend failures so that we can predict them before they happen. Uh, so this eliminates a lot of the labor costs that these buildings are using to manage this equipment. Likewise, it also eliminates a lot of the repair and energy failures that they have. So it saves them a lot of money. We're anticipating for the bulk of the market, we can cut their mechanical operating costs somewhere between 60 to 80%. And we've been operating for about a year now. And it that premises proving true, which has been really cool to see. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I see that trend a lot these days because all of these machines, they weren't really designed with the whole life cycle, you know, well thought out. So these uh, these sensors that you guys put in, I guess it really gives them a new life in some sense, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it enables them to see, you know, where this equipment's going because, you know, on a big office building to, you know, uh, mechanical equipment is the largest capital expense for that building. So you could spend on a $4 million building, you're going to spend one and a half million dollars for the HVAC side of things. And so being able to plan and anticipate when those capital costs are coming down uh, because you've got that life cycle data uh, is really, really important and helpful for building owners. Uh, that makes sense. So uh, what does your ideal customer profile look like and uh, how do you get their data? Yeah, so our ideal customer profile, the market's kind of segmented into two different segments. Um, there's owner direct. So this is where the person that we're marketing to owns the building and manages it and they also operate in it. Um, so think, you know, Google owns their buildings and they also operate in them. Um, and then there's property management firms. They manage, you know, tenants that go into them and they're also responsible for making sure the building upkeep is good. Um, so our ideal customer profile is really focused on owner direct because those are the people that have the most to benefit from saving on operating costs. So most of these buildings will have some sort of title like a facility director or facility manager or chief building engineer. And uh, I kind of liken it. These guys are very hands-on. They're very uh, real world focused. A lot of them have some form of military background or engineering background, and they're not very uh, present online. So a lot of them don't have LinkedIn profiles. A lot of 
them rarely use email. Most of the time, their day is spent managing you know the cell phone that they have in their pocket uh, and responding to issues that are happening around the building, which makes it a little bit difficult to find them. And then once you do find them, it's hard to reach out to them. So the way we get their data, uh, you can obviously use stuff like LinkedIn and everything, but there are a lot of online like building permits. There are a lot of FEC uh, licenses, um, like databases that we can crawl through. And most of the time, the people that have to submit for those licenses or that have to you know submit for a building permit are going to be the facility director or the person that's in charge of managing that aspect of their building. And so that's how we get access to their data um, online, uh, which is you know kind of a sneaky go around way to do it because it's we're accessing the go- the government's database and we're accessing you know the FCC's uh, database and everything. But yeah, that's that's kind of the challenge, which is also uh, part of the opportunity because for most of these buildings, these people haven't been able to be reached or because they've never been online, so they have very little presence. That makes sense. And that's a very creative way of getting around um, this problem of lack of data availability. And herein, there's a big learning for some of our listeners as well, because we see this complaint often, like our prospects don't really have an online presence. So we can't really get their LinkedIn or stuff like that. But you can always get creative, right? So that's one learning that I guess we can take away from the way uh, that Brit does stuff. So coming to my next question. so, So you got their data, right? You got their email address. So you got their phone. So what does the cold outreach process look like? So how do you really, like, do you send them a lot of emails? What channels do you use? You Do you call them? For those who have LinkedIn, do you do a lot of LinkedIn? Like, what, what is that process in more detail? Yeah, so we um, we call them sales sequences, which I know some of the other industry calls it as well. Um, and our minimum amount of steps is at least eight mix of calls and emails. Sometimes it's as large as 21. Because our prospect profile doesn't have a, a big online presence, we don't do a ton of LinkedIn reach outs. Believe it or not, we actually have a little bit of a mail, like direct mail campaign because these people do open mail. They'll open mail before they open a LinkedIn account, uh, which is kind of funny. So yeah, so our most of our process is uh, these people are used to doing business over the phone. That's how they get alerted to most of their issues. Um, so it's very, very heavy on on cold calling. Um, so being able to present a value proposition really quickly is important um, and being able to communicate it effectively um, is kind of the difference between success and failure there. Uh, for emails, typical campaign will probably be 45% uh, emails and then you know the rest of it uh, cold calling. In terms of personalization for email, we do you know all the standard stuff like possessive names of companies or you know instead of just saying uh, Google, we say Googles with an S uh, to make it possessive. But we also do some in-depth like square footage and energy calculations. So for example, our system will help save a commercial building somewhere between fifteen to thirty percent in their energy costs for their HVAC systems. And so if I know the square footage of a commercial building, I can do calculations on that to say, hey, you know, uh, Mr. School, the director, um, you know, based on the fact that your building has 70,000 square feet, I'm estimating that you're going to be spending this year about 30 grand on energy costs directly associated with HVAC. Tulu can help you save, you know, 3000 or $4,000 on that, uh, which will make a payback of, you know, 0.5 years. Uh, would you be interested in talking? And so being able to at scale customize that data uh, is, is really cool. Um, so we use, uh, we have a sales acceleration platform and then um, um, all of our CRM data runs through Salesforce. And so we connect those through an API 
And when we enter in just the square footage of a building, um, we have pre-calculated formulas in Salesforce that you know, calculate the energy savings, the energy spend, uh, the energy use per square foot and all that stuff. Likewise, I can also do some cool calculations based on like capital improvements for, for building permits. So if I see a building has spent you know $100,000 on HVAC capital improvements, uh, there's a bunch of like maintenance dollars and other things that I can estimate from that that will be pretty accurate and should be enough to make a, a prospect feel like, oh yeah, th- what this guy's talking to me about is relevant as well as, you know, uh, personalized and, and important to me. It's been pretty successful so far. Now that seems like a really cool process. And I think the SCAR is an important learning as well. A lot of times we see entrepreneurs uh, sending cold emails and just writing about how cool their product is and and just describing the features. I think what's really cool about what you do here is you clearly tie into the ROI, right? You put a dollar value to what it means to solve this problem, and I think that's that's important. So it's it's good to see that you've you've sort of thought through and sort of really um, done this well. So what kind of reply rates are you getting on these campaigns then? Because this this seem really cool. Yeah, so by the end of um, our most successful campaign is 18 steps, and uh, we have a 30%, not reply rate, but meeting set rate. It's about a 50% reply rate on it. Um, but 20% of them either say, hey, I'm, I'm not the right person, or, or they do a, a push off. So yeah, that's our most successful campaign. It's also the most specifically targeted, which makes sense, right? So the more specifically you target, uh, the more specific your message, uh, usually the higher the the reply rate and meeting set rate is going to be. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a that makes a lot of sense. So in terms of uh, the information. So you mentioned that you have these government databases for the data related to the prospects. So it seems like a really detailed process. I would just like to understand, like when you're doing these cold emails at scale, like how much time are you spending per prospect and how, um, you know, so one thing yeah. is so if you send hundreds of cold, cold emails a day, it becomes really difficult to, to scale the personalization. So just want to understand your time allocation. Yeah. So there's a lot of work, obviously, on the front end. So I, I was kind of talking about the square footage calculation personalization we do. So for example, one of our best campaigns was for school districts. School districts have in the Seattle area will usually have anywhere between 10 to 30 buildings. And so their energy spend can range from one and a half million to upwards of $5 million per year. So they're spending a lot of money on on energy costs. Um, so there's a really big opportunity there to save them money on that. You know, if you can save them 30% on $5 million, you know, you've just added $1.5 million back into their budget for them to do with whatever they need to do with it. So for that, you know, obviously the the upfront time cost is, okay, I'm going to go into Salesforce and I'm going to go add those five different custom fields that pre-calculate based off of the one square footage field. Uh, once I've done that, you know, you got to build the, the merge fields in your templates like, hey, you know, Mr. School Director, you know, I know you guys... Uh, reducing energy is really important to you. And because you have, you know, 70,000 square feet, you know, I estimate that you're going to spend X amount of dollars on energy. Tulu has been proven by, you know, the Department of Energy because we're able to monitor, you know, economizing or whatever, you know, nerdy details. We're able to reduce your energy cost by 30%, which I estimate will save you $1.5 million overall across all your buildings. Once I have all those field calculations in there, all I need to do is when I have a prospect and I say, okay, this is a school, uh, usually all I have to do is go to their page, like the school district page. And most of the time they'll have how much square footage their buildings are listed. And I just input that into 
my form. Uh, and then that pre-calculates and then I send the email. So most of the time is spent finding the actual school district. Doing the personalization for that level is just entering in one number and finding it. So yeah, with that one, you know, we in a typical like two hour reach out sprint, um, we can email probably between 80 to 120 school districts from, you know, just finding them to inputting them into our process because most of the work has been done up front with the pre-calculated fields. Obviously, if you're going to do other stuff like like if we're working on like a mission critical facility and there was like some sort of like uh, like with the coronavirus thing going on right now, you know, I, I did an email campaign where I reached out to hospitals and elderly healthcare and said, hey, you know, it would be awesome for you during this crisis to not have to have contractors come into your building. Most of that time is spent on most of that time for me building that campaign is, okay, I'm going to invest the time up front and then all the time to execute is just putting them into that actual funnel. So for me, like I found that being specific um, and then segmenting campaigns specifically is more time effective than trying to than try because you can talk in general terms to all of your prospects in that segment, and it's more personalized than if you just did. I mean, email a thousand prospects and personalize each one, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So this kind of segmentation, I think, is key. And uh, one of the learnings here is that it's important to build these, you know, systems like you did with Salesforce upfront, so that later on it just becomes like inputting a number and getting all these values out, right? You don't have to really repeat that. So building these kinds of systems upfront would really would really help entrepreneurs to really take up their outreach to the next level because then they'll have the right data to drive the value home right in some sense yes absolutely cool so what would be your advice to someone who's starting an outbound process today like what would be the top three things to keep in mind yeah uh so first would be really spend a lot of time building your personas that you're going to be outreaching to um if you don't know you know who you're reaching out to what motivates them what their uh you know what their challenges are then you're bound to fail because you you need to make selling about your prospect not about you and that's it's kind of interesting like i get a lot of um I get a lot of LinkedIn messages and outreaches on my email. And most of the time, these people are just talking about themselves. They're not really interested in what is going on with me. They haven't really put on any thought into what problems I might need to overcome. And so putting the work in up front to build out your persona and say, hey, this is what my person's challenges are, will, will help pay a lot of dividends. Uh, second, everyone has two motivations for making a change. And the biggest obstacle you have to overcome is the status quo, especially when you're selling something new. And so those two motivations are the person case and the business case. So the business case, we're all familiar with it. It's the ROI or you know the ROI payback case that you're going to make. And that's what the people that you're talking to need to use to bring it to their upper level manager or CEO or whoever and say, hey, if we execute this project, I'm going to save X amount of money. It's a good investment. But the personal case is probably the most important because the person that you're selling to, they get fired for doing something wrong and then they get a pat on the head for doing something great. There's kind of an outweighed risk there. There, right in terms of uh, what their benefit of making a change. So there's a lot of fear in making a change. And so you need to, when you're selling, you need to position products based on that personal case in the beginning. So a person is like, okay, great. I can save my company a million dollars. That's awesome. But if it fails, I get fired. Uh, so you have to position like, we're going to save you. You know, you have to come in every day at 4am because your contractors aren't doing a good job. Like, wouldn't it be awesome if 
you could come in like everyone else does in the office at 9 a.m. and have a nice relaxing day. And instead of having to always be trying to catch up and, you know, put out fires, you know, we're catching them for you and doing that early for you. So that way, you know, your day is just way more relaxing. And so as you build that personal case, the person buys into it and then they get the confidence like, okay, this is valuable enough for me to overcome the status quo. And then you can start leading with the business case. Uh, And then the third thing is just always be like adapting to the market. We have a slogan, our company is fail fast. And I know a lot of people have that, that slogan, but you know, we're always trying new things and measuring them. And if we're not getting the the payback out of the the opportunity that we're, we're doing or the, the process we're implementing, we adapt it and change it. And we're always tweaking things. So uh, being a lifelong learner with outreach is important because you know everyone else is also doing outreach. And so if you're, the only way you're going to be able to stick out of the noise is by doing things differently than other people are. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and yeah, and thanks for that. That's actually really detailed. So uh, following up from your uh, from your last point, building a culture of experimentation. So what are the top three things that you're most excited about when it comes to experimenting with uh, cold outreach? Yeah, um, I'm really excited experimenting with some other forms of how we ingest uh, data before we reach out to the prospect. So, I, you know, I talked about like square footage a bunch, um, but we're we're doing some other stuff with whether we're pulling stuff from permitting or pulling stuff from from other government databases or maybe being able to pull stuff from just property values. Um, a lot of that stuff is there's a lot of potential there for scaling up uh, really, really in-depth personalization. And then, you know, obviously there's a lot of... Uh, cool stuff going on with like artificial intelligence and, and machine learning for for building emails and executing campaigns. So um, we're not really doing anything with that yet, but um, I'm kind of always interested in, in watching from the sidelines as as these companies are building that stuff. And obviously, I'm, I'm really, really excited about all the cool new software that's coming out for uh, executing sequences. Um, it's just become so smooth and the APIs are so good and they implement with so many things. And uh, it's just been really, really neat to, to be able to maintain personalized relevant conversations with 200, 300 people, uh, you know, within a day and, and to be able to manage that. That's a scale that has previously not been able to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a really cool space in that sense um, because outbound has always been there. Like it used to be door to door selling back in the day. Now it's more virtual and there's so many tools out there. But yeah, it's a, it's a really exciting space to be in because you you see innovation every day. A lot of people misuse innovation, like you mentioned with your LinkedIn, people reach out and they're just talking about themselves, but the tools are just as good as the way you use them, right? The tools that by themselves can be really powerful or can be really, you know, bad, but it all depends on how well, you know, you're able to use them. And that's, that's, I hope our listeners have taken some good tips from uh, Britt around the way he personalizes stuff, the way he does his messaging the way he targets uh, his prospects. And we hope that you can uh, apply some of these ideas to your outreach and really make it to the next level. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so thank you. Thank you, Britt, for uh, coming on and sharing your process. And thanks for being so candid about your process. I think there's a lot to learn from this podcast and we hope our uh, listeners actually get some good results. Yeah, I hope so too. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. Cool, thanks. Thanks.